You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Just as I begin here, I need to dispel a persistent rumor. Jay Messenger is not here today, it's true. The rumor is that he's huddled up in a dark room with a blanket over his head after the Ducks game last night, and I think that's not true, though it may be. Oh, yeah. We are in Genesis, and I had, uh, uh, my name is Gary Bershears, I'm one of the elders here, and on the preaching team, and I get to open the word today as we're in our next to the last sermon in the Genesis series. Is that a good thing or a bad thing we're almost done with Genesis? It's a good thing, yeah. (laughs) It's been a great series, but we're coming to the end of it, and we're looking forward to that. So we're going to look at chapters 46 through 48 today. And what I want to think of is particularly this guy named Jacob Israel, and follow his story as we finish this out. And when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of legacy, because I'm, I'm like an old man. And legacy is one of those things that old men think about. And I love this picture, you know, the fist bump between the big burly fist and the little baby fist. I love fist bumps like that. There are others I don't get quite so excited about. And I think of legacies. What is the legacy of this man? One of the most impactful men of the 20th century, his name is Adolf Hitler. What was his legacy? You know, universally hated, really. Pretty much. What's the legacy of this man, one of the greatest men of the 19th century? Who's that? Abraham Lincoln. Think of the legacy difference between the two. Both great leaders, completely different legacies. Completely different legacies. Abraham Lincoln, a deeply passionate man, follower of Jesus Christ, though never a formal member of a church. Adolf Hitler, deeply committed to Satanism and things like that. When I think of legacy... You know, this is a picture I found. What is this father teaching his sons? How to fish. Is that a good legacy? If that's all your legacy is, it's not a good legacy. I'm not down on fishing. But if that's all you're doing, you set your sights way too low. Way too low. When I think of legacy, my friend Greg Allison, who's a prophet, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, longtime friend, used to teach for us here, Greg had on his Facebook page this week this picture. This is the picture of the installation of Reverend James Fields as the lead pastor at Sojourn Church Madison Campus. Now that's one campus of a large church. But Reverend Fields, as we see his back here in the building where this particular campus of Sojourn Church is, is receiving the charge to him as he's being installed as lead pastor of the church. The man giving the charge is the Reverend Dr. Robert Coverson, who is the senior pastor at Meditation Missionary Baptist Church of Detroit, Michigan. The connection between those two is Reverend Coverson is the grandfather of Dr. Fields, of Reverend Fields. And Dr. Coverson began praying for his grandson when his grandson's a little bitty guy like him. And now he's giving him the charge for ministry. 
See, that's the kind of legacy I want to leave. A legacy that's more than just the skills of fishing and the camaraderie that comes out of that, but is more a spiritual legacy that is a faithful service to the Lord Most High. Not necessarily lead pastor of church. There's lots of ways to serve. But that's the legacy that is, we're talking about here. So legacy of Jacob. Jacob. We've looked a lot about him. This is the legacy that the preacher of Hebrews, in the hallmark of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11, one verse about Jacob, and this is it. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. There's one legacy. A man who blesses his grandkids. And worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, what I want is our worship team to learn how to worship leaning on a staff. Because that's obviously the most God-blessed way to worship, right, team? We'll see how they do after the sermon here. Let's look at the story. Because in the story of Jacob, and we're going to follow this, where there's more to the story that we're going to follow here this morning. I'm going to follow the heritage of Joseph or Jacob. So this is where Jay was last week. They went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. These are the brothers who've been reconciled and discovered the prime minister of Egypt is Joseph, their brother, who they sold into slavery to kill him and get money off of him. And they discover he's a prime minister and they have this reconciliation, just unbelievably powerful. Gabe and Jay helped us see that. They told Jacob, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Now, when's the last time that Jacob saw Joseph? Well, he didn't see him. He saw his coat, his bloody coat, because the animals had killed his favorite son. And now, 20 years later, they're saying, your son is alive? What's his response? Well, we know, because the text tells us. He is stunned and cannot believe it. No way. I saw the blood on the coat. But when they told him everything Joseph said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Can you just imagine what that's like for Jacob? To discover that the dead, feared son is not dead? And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go see him before I die. There's the conviction. End of chapter 45. Oops. Went the wrong direction here. Let's start this over again. Went too far back. Okay. Too many buttons on this little thing. Yeah. I pushed the restart button, and that's not the one you're supposed to push. So the response is, you have here, the Bible word here is a numb heart. Like a, I mean, it's just numb. There's no feeling in it. The numb heart is revived and then a journey to reunion. Now, the thing I want to do is think about what is Joseph feeling as he heads to Egypt to meet Joseph? And he's seen the riches. He's heard the stories. But the reality is about to happen. And he's saying, oh, my, my. And he's leaving Canaan. Now, his grandfather, what's his grandfather's name? Abraham. Remember when he left to go down to Egypt? It did not turn out well. And when he's leaving the land of promise, he's leaving the land of God at one level, and he's saying, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? 
So Israel set out all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, down the south end of the promised land, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now here's what he's thinking. He's thinking when Isaac was in that same place, Genesis 26, and Abraham before him. Isaac went to Beersheba. The night of the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant. And Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. But Isaac never left the land. Jacob is leaving. But he's at Beersheba. What do you do when you're in Beersheba? You build, you sacrifice. He's worshiping here. He's worshiping the Lord in the pattern of his father's. Because there's a legacy there, and he has now inherited the legacy from Abraham and Isaac, now down to himself. When he comes to Beersheba, he knows what to do. When he worships there at Beersheba, south end of the land, what happens? Well, the story tells us. Beginning of chapter 46, God spoke to Israel in a vision at night. Boy, it sounds just like Isaac, except now it's Jacob. Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. Almost exactly the same words. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I'll make you into a great nation there. Now, what is he doing here? What is he doing here? Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Was there a reason for him to be afraid to go to Egypt? Remember Abraham. He's leaving the God. He's leaving the country. Remember when he left to go to, over with Laban? I mean, this is a dangerous place to leave God's place. And what happens is that God shows here, God confirms his decision to go. He confirms his decision to go. He made the decision because it was the right thing to do, but he's wondering, is God in it? Because sometimes the right thing to do is not the godly thing to do, right in our own sense, of course. And he promises this, for I will make you a great nation there. We think Genesis chapter 12. Where God said to Abraham, you will become a great nation, and I will bring you back again. Genesis 15, the covenant blessing time with Abraham, he said, you're going to be in Egypt, and I will bring you back. He's remembering those blessings, and God is reiterating those promises. So God confirms his decision. God confirms his promise. You will become a great nation. You'll be back. But see, the biggest thing hasn't been said yet. The biggest thing in God's appearing is this. I will go down to Egypt with you. Because wherever we go, we want to go in the name of and with God. That promise, I will be with you, is a huge promise. The name of our Savior is Emmanuel, God with us. So God confirms the decision, the promise, and the presence Now again, put yourself in the place of Jacob. You're headed off on a dangerous journey to an unknown place to be reunited with your, you thought, dead son. You're wondering if God's in it because you remember bad things happen when you've left the country before. And God shows up and says, it's a good decision. I'm going to keep my promise. I will go with you. See, our thing is to put ourselves in the place of Jacob and feel what he's feeling and see what he's seeing. Credible relief and credible power. Now, we're skipping down further in chapter 46 here, because we can't do the whole story. I want to follow the Jacob story. Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. 
When they arrived at the region of Goshen, Joseph, look at what Joseph does. Joseph does. Look what he does. He makes his chariot ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Again, think what's going through Joseph's mind. What's the last time he saw his daddy? Well, maybe not the last time, but the last encounter we get any record of is when he had a dream of stars bowing down to him, and his dad rebukes him for such an arrogant dream. It did not end well. Daddy sent him off on a mission, and he never came back. And he makes a chariot ready to go meet his daddy. And... <laughs> As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Joseph grabbed his daddy, held him, and wept for a long time. It tells what Joseph is feeling. What's Jacob feeling? See, the narrator doesn't tell us. And I think the reason the narrator doesn't tell us is their words are simply not adequate for what Jacob is feeling. As he is back in touch with his favored son, who he thought was dead, and he's been so incredibly depressed because his son is dead, and so fearful that Benjamin will be killed too. And now his son isn't just, hey, Dad, how's it going? What's up? You know, that kind of nonsense grabs him, holds him, and weeps. Oh my gosh. Look at this Jacob guy a little bit more. Remember him? He's the guy that like stole the blessing from his brother and manipulated his daddy. He and Laban get into this fight with each other, each one trying to out-connive and deceive the other. And it didn't turn out real well. I mean, he, he's had a tough life. Where is he now? They're going to be introduced to Pharaoh, and the question is, what is your occupation? Now, Joseph tries to prepare them to do it well. So, Joseph said, when you were introduced to Pharaoh, he calls you and says, what's your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock. Why should they say that? Because Egyptians hate shepherds. They're Colorado ranchers and despise sheep herders. So, here come Jacob and the boys, and they're introduced to Pharaoh, and what do they say? What's your occupation, guys? And they say what? Shepherds! Like, what the heck are you saying? And there's a second thing. Jacob is going to come to Pharaoh. You know, what's Jacob, what's he been doing recently? He's been up in Canaan, a kind of a nowhere place, starving to death because there's no food there. He's a foreigner coming in, poor, starving, before the most powerful, rich, influential leader in the entire world. What should he do when he comes there? Well, this is the way I picked This is a picture of it. And you can see over here on, or to be on the left, you see Pharaoh up on top. And he's elevated. He's on a gold throne. He's got all their accoutrements of power. He's got a lion there, soldiers, all that kind of stuff. And in this particular painting, they have Jacob over here, but I don't think he looks like that. 
I don't think he's young and rich looking. I think he looks more like this. He's old and visibly emaciated. And he's got his arms raised. What's he going to do next? When he's the poor, starving, powerless man before the most powerful leader in the world who does not take insults well at all. Well, what do the brothers do when they meet Joseph? They bow down with their faces to the ground. That's what you should do. What does Jacob do before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world? He does what? He what? He blesses him. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Who's the guy with the power? The guy with the power is supposed to give the blessing, not the guy with nothing. Jacob blesses him. What's Pharaoh's response? To call the lion out? Eat him. He's insulting me. No. Pharaoh's response is to receive it. And how old are you? He says, you're my pilgrimage, 130. My years have been few and difficult. They do not equal the years of pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and out for his presence. What's Jacob doing here? He is blessing the most powerful man in the world, who is his own gods. Why is he doing that? Well, that's Abraham's legacy. You will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And he, knowing that he's a man of God, brings God's blessing to this worship of other gods. What an incredible, incredible, arrogant? I don't think so. Confident? Yes, I think there is a confidence in God. Knowing who he is, he blesses Pharaoh. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, I'm going to read this next section, starting at the end of chapter 47. Uh, just, it just, because there's a lot of stuff we're going to unpack. So this is chapter 47, beginning at verse 27. Now, the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt... 70 years, 17 years, and the years of his life were 147, and when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness, do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they're buried. I will do as you say, he said, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Skipping down here to verse 8 in 40, chapter 48. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They're the sons of God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. There's that blessing thing going again. Now Israelites were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see So Joseph brought his sons close to him. His father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed from Israel's knees and bowed down his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his right hand, on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But, 
Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God who, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life, and the angels who delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw the father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took a hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this is the firstborn to put your right hand on his head. But the father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will become greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day and said, your name, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May the God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Look at that story. What do you see about Joseph here? Who should get the blessing? Who should get the blessing between Manasseh and Ephraim? The older. And that's the way you do it. Jacob remembers his own heritage where he stole the blessing. And Joseph sees what's going on. No, Father, no, no, no. You're a blind old dude. Let me fix it for you. Put this hand there. What does Joseph do? He refuses. No, I know what I'm doing. What do you see about this guy? When you look at this picture, the blind old man crossing his hands to reverse the normal way of doing blessing and Joseph watching. Now note, these are Egyptian kids, at least half Egyptian. So he's doing the legacy of Abraham, blessing other nations. He's adopting two half-Egyptian kids as his own children. And there's all kinds of ironies here going on. What kind of guy is this Jacob guy? Well, I think he is one stubborn dude. I read this as a stubborn faithfulness. Others see it as the controller trying to control and manipulate everything, I think he's actually changed. I think there's a deep faithfulness that's come through the legacy of old age and living before the Lord and realizing through the blessing that he got at Bethel that we talked about earlier, there's a better way than controlling and manipulating. It's called trusting God and being faithful to him. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Let's dig in a bit. This people living in Egypt, how are they identified? How are they identified? As Israelites. Now, where does that name come from? That's Jacob's covenant name. Remember, God met him in Peniel and changed his name, the one who wrestles with God and the one with whom God wrestles. His covenant name now becomes the name of this whole people group. And to this day, They're known as Israel. 
They're also known as Jews, which is the heritage of Judah, the other brother. They're known as Israelites. So their identity, their identity is Israelite. Children of the covenant faithful, blessed man of God. Your identity is critically important. Critically important. It's a question we'll ask as we move into our sexuality series coming up here fairly soon. What is our identity as we live as faithful followers of Jesus in a, in a post-Christian, post-truth environment? Our identity is going to be children of God primarily. Our identity is Israelite. means we worship Yahweh. It means that they acquired property when we were fruitful and increasing greatly in number. That's, that's what he brings to them. May you do well. Don't bury me in Egypt. Carry me out of Egypt. Bury my bones in the cave at Machpelah with my ancestors. Egypt is not my home. And the people of Israel, if they follow his legacy, Israel or Egypt will not be their home. And that's a question. You know, what is our home? What is our home? Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells us. What is your home identity? Watching the Duck Games last night, and I saw like 15 advertisements for a new TV show on ABC called, guess what, Stumptown. I thought we're done with Portlandia. Now Stumptown is here. That's my city I live in. I don't know if I want to identify as a Portland or not. I'm not quite weird enough for that, though I'm working on it. Swear to me, Joseph sowed, so Israel worshipped and leaned on the top of his staff. What's he doing? He's in Egypt where there's lots of strong gods, and he worships the Lord. See, that's the life of Israel in Egypt in this initial portrait, and that's the life we want the people of Israel to live as they live in Egypt. It's the life we want to live, that same kind of a thing, same kind of a thing. Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, what's magical about worshipping while leaning on the top of a staff? Well, how should you worship if you're an Israelite? One of the ways you worship is you bow down with your face on the ground. Can a 147-year-old Jacob do that? No. Can he stand up high with his arms raised? No. What's he doing? Even to be off the bed, he's got to lean on the top of his staff, but he's worshiping the God of his fathers. No matter where you're at, no matter what your abilities, faithful to God, if you've got to lean on the staff, do it. But worship God, no matter what your situation is. So question. One of these provocative questions, this text is full of them. Will the family align with the faith of their ancestors with all the customs and all the values associated with that, which are way, way, way different than the customs of Egypt? Or will they follow the success of their dream brother and the emperor empire? That's our question. That's our question. With what will we identify and what success will we seek? It's our question today that's raised by this. For Joseph... And Jacob, his father, it's very clear. But what about Ephraim and Manasseh? We don't know. We don't hear anything more about them. But what we do know is the tribes that they founded back in Israel when they went back there later on 
were the center of the worship of Moloch. That's the northern ten tribes who were unfaithful to Yahweh ended up being destroyed by Assyria because of judgment on their evil. What was their legacy? Israel's eyes were failing because of old age as he's blessing his kids. Remember, what do you think he's thinking about? He's thinking about a blind daddy in his own history. As Isaac's eyes were failing, he comes in and steals a blessing. Very different thing because Ephraim and Manasseh are not stealing blessings. God, he is giving it to him freely. The two blind blessings. The second one is the one we're going to follow, not the first. But the blessing that's here, I'm intrigued with this because blessing is kind of the heart of what I'm focusing on here. When you look at the blessing that's done here, this is Genesis 48, 15. He blessed Joseph and said, May the God be whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully. So that's the God, first of all. When we think of this, we're talking about the God who, with whom, who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the beginning. When we're doing a blessing, we're identifying the God who is with us. That's the foundation. With Abraham, Isaac, the God who has been my shepherd. This is the first time God is referred to as a shepherd in the Old Testament. And Jacob is the one who uses it as a blessing. Now remember what he's been through. He was the unloved son. What does that do to a young man to grow up unloved by your father? Who prefers your brother in place of you? He's hated by his brother, for reason to be sure. Heads off to Laban. He is mistreated by Laban badly. He's forced to marry a woman he does not love. And when he finally marries the woman he does love, she dies not long after that in childbirth. And he comes back and he has a favored son who is killed by wild animals and he lives in clinical depression for 20 years with a dead son. And he says, God has shepherded me. It's an incredible thought that he sees God as shepherd instead of blaming God for all the things that have happened to him. Second point of the blessing. A third point of the blessing, God has been my shepherd, the angel who delivered me from all harm. Now, he was harmed, but he was delivered from that harm. Third point of blessing is the God who delivers from harm. The God who is with, the God who shepherds, the God who delivers. That's the God we worship. That's the God we worship. And what does he say to the boys? May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. I think he's saying more than that. I think he's saying that they be known not only by the name of Israel, but by the name of the Lord. That's the blessing. You should be faithful to the legacy of your ancestors, which is faithful to Yahweh and all the different possibilities. And finally, may it go well for you. Increase greatly on the earth. Raise many blessable image-bearing covenant partners which is the legacy you live when you bring up children who are faithful to Yahweh. The blessing. I focus on this, and I'm into blessing. I'm into blessing. 
not just blessing my children, my two bio sons and my adopted daughter, not just my bio grandkids, proud as I am of Elizabeth, if you're following my Facebook page, you know she just won best picture, you should go look at my Facebook page, it's amazing. And I resisted the temptation to put pictures up here, I feel like I should get extra crowns in my house. Extra stars in my crown. What does blessing look like? Blessing does, I analyze everything. Four things I find in blessing. And I don't think just children, these are people blessed, so I don't think particular children because that's Jacob's story. You bless their identity. And when you're blessing, you're speaking something into existence in the person. It may not be currently true. You think of, and so it's Jacob's blessing. Their identity is your followers of Yahweh. You're known by his covenant values and life. Children's identity, but also children's character. So you look at Colossians 3, 12 through 15, it gets characters of all believers in Jesus. It begins with compassion and kindness and mercy and forgiving. That we speak into everybody, including my grandkids who occasionally fight with each other. You speak compassion and kindness into them, as well as the individual characteristics of the child. So you speak the general things, but also the, you tease out the good character of that specific child, and you bless it, you affirm it, you confirm it. The identity, character, and accomplishments. I think we absolutely should bless kids and compliment kids and others for their accomplishments. We're not known by what we do. Yes, you are. Of course you are. Because what you do comes out of your character. And we also bless their future. What does that look like? Well, too often we think we bless by flattery. So I might say to David as a 12-year-old little leaguer, hey, you're the best baseball player in the whole entire known world. What's the problem with that? Ain't true. What did I bless David for? The day when he struck out, and he was so mad, but he didn't cry. And I blessed my son. Son, I'm so incredibly proud of you. You gave it your best and you struck out and you were upset, but you didn't cry. Good going, son. You're going to be a man we can trust. See, that's a blessing. I love blessing people. I get to do a lot of it. When you bless somebody, all the time, you don't have to wait for a legacy moment. You bless people constantly. Never, ever, ever resist the command or the temptation, maybe I should say, to bless somebody. Just don't flatter them. You can never overcompliment a husband, a wife, a child, a friend. You can never overcompliment them. You can fail them by flattering them, but you can't overdo it. So last service I called out Alice Tate. She's a woman I've been able to bless over the years. She's one of my students back in the day. I mentored her in early days of chaplaincy, and she's been turned into an amazing, amazing chaplain working for the legacy system. She is retiring. I do not approve of that, by the way, and headed down to Tucson in a month. And I blessed her, and I do it again. I love to bless people, but not just the huge accomplishments of an Alice Tate, but the 
small accomplishment somebody that's easy to overlook. That's what it's about. Worship team, why don't you come up here and communion people if you want to join up here too. Some questions that I find myself asking. Whose prosperity will we seek? We do want to seek the prosperity of our city, it's true. But what we want to do is bring goodness of God into our city and will prosper by things like foster parents night out rather than buying into local strip clubs or something like that. We look for the prosperity of the city in this way. I ask this, would I leave Egypt to go back to Canaan? Egypt's the center of every good thing. Canaan has nothing. If God called me to Canaan, would I go? It's a question to ask. Sherry and I faced this back a long time ago when God called us to go to the Philippines and leave a secure job. Go to a place we knew nobody and had nothing. Well, I bless my enemies. I love blessing an Alice Tate. I love blessing a Jay Messenger, a Sean. I mean, so many people here I see. Tim and the basketball team. Thank you guys for being here. Incredible stuff you're doing over there. I love to bless people. But these are good guys. What do you do when it's not a good guy? What if somebody makes your hair stand up and your skin crawl? Do you bless them? And how do you do it? And lastly, in this relates to the communion we're about to do, who is the right person that I tend to prefer? Because in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about people gathering for communion, he tells people those who do not discern the body of Christ can drink judgment to themselves in the communion. The discerning the body is do you overlook the quote-unquote worthless person in your self-centered comfort? And if you do that, you're not understanding the body of Christ and you can drink condemnation to yourself. That's the thing that would be true this morning to think about blessing. Who is the worthless person? Who is the right person you tend to go to instead of the worthless person? Who do you need to bless today that is not your normal person? Because see, we tend to go to the rich, the successful, the beautiful, the powerful the nice, and hang out with them. What this is saying is, no, you hang out with somebody who, well, you get my point. So we're going to invite you to come to the communion tables here, receive the elements of the bread and the wine, bread representing the body of Christ, the wine representing, well, juice, representing uh, the blood of Christ. This is gluten-free, by the way, for those who, that's an issue. And if you're here, because here's the thing, if you see the blessing of God, it will transform you. If you want to be transformed by the presence and power of Jesus, as Jacob was, this table's for you. I don't care if you're currently a worshiper of Jesus or not, but if you want the blessing of God in your life, and you're ready to explore that, please come have a meal with Jesus now. That is the legacy of Jacob, Israel, that we carry on. We worship the holy name of the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not just worship in word and song, as beautiful as it is, but worship in deed and life as well. So my charge to you today is go find somebody to bless. I was going to do it to Diane Halberg, but she left. I don't know how you know Diane. Maybe she knew it was coming, sense it in the spirit, because it would mortify her to know that I'm blessing her, but I'm going to do it anyway. Diane has rheumatoid arthritis, and it's just past horrible. 
She came into our elder meeting. I've known Diane for a long time. She came into our elder meeting our last time, and we prayed for her. She's an incredible mom to Jacob and just a true hero of the faith and can just barely get here. So when you see somebody like a Diane who's a hero in the faith and you won't see her up on stage worshiping there, but when you see her, bless people like that. Bless them. They're incredible people and they need your blessing. Father, thank you for blessing us when we were enemies. Thank you for blessing us when we need your correction. Thank you for blessing us when we are responsive to your grace. May we be a joy to you as we serve you faithfully. Give us that humility, that hunger for the things of God, that confidence in the transformative power of the gospel. And we want to bless the world, and we do that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.